Welcome back. You're listening to Eyes Up Here. I'm your host, Lindsay Palos. Every week, I'm here to give my take on current events and to share my world with some amazing guests. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Eyes Up Here. I'm your host, Lindsay Palos. Today, I have a special guest, friend, boss of mine. Um, he's an entrepreneur, a public speaker, a philanthropist, and he was the youngest person in history to, wait, okay, to sell a publicly traded company. Is that correct? Take it public, yeah. Take a company public yeah. at 23. I'm going to ask you what that means yep. in a minute. But this is Dan Fleischman. Thank you for having me. Oh, my God. Thank you so much for being on. I'm excited. Me too. Um, I've been doing so much Dan research before I got here. And I wanted to say I'm so sorry that you have to sit through all these boring, super boring business talks. Uh, and they're super boring because you're really young and you are a real. How old are you right now? Can I ask? Uh, no, I'm 36 now. I'm, okay. old, I'm over the hill. No, I just <laughs> 36 and young as hell. And you like people come to you in their 60s asking you for business advice and how to do it. So he's I was watching all these shows with him and it's super old men in suits. Yeah, nonstop. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, my God, how does it feel? It's, it's interesting because like you have really successful friends that ask you questions. and You're like kind of get frustrated. You're like, you're a billionaire. You're a zillionaire. You have like. 38 million dollars in sales and you're like asking me little tidbits of advice yeah and it happens a lot like i don't think a day has gone by the last few years where it's just these people that i look up to or i'm fascinated by what they're doing yeah and then when they call me i'm like ready to ask them something instead <laughs> it's like 45 minutes about them wow and i'd say like 99 percent of the time it's just giving advice to these guys and i think it's mostly because the new world like mm -hmm. nobody's adjusted yeah the like, new world being what the internet Social media. Yeah. And the internet in general, like mobile apps. Like, think about the brands that you work with. Mm -hmm. They're just now starting to, to have, have buy posts from you or work with you on social media. Yeah. Instagram's been around for half a decade. Yeah, and less. You, you see, right? And yeah. you see these household name brands just now dipping their toe in with budgets that are like one one hundredth of a percent of what they should be spending. Mm -hmm. and it's fascinating to me, like, how you guys built up a $2 billion fashion company and you're like, oh, we want to spend 100 k what are you talking about? Like, oh my God. <laughs> it's just. I bet you get like crazy questions all the time. But so for my listeners and for the viewers, what exactly do you do? So it's a pretty broad. Yeah. Uh, my core business is a social media agency. Okay. So Brandon and I, we run campaigns for a lot of the fashion brands and mobile apps you see on social media mm -hmm. and uh, physical products and like food and things. So if you see like Kylie Jenner holding up a hair vitamin or a fashion ova or pretty little thing those are the type of things that we do yeah and then we do it for protein companies like first form so we do fitness type things so our core business is a social media agency but at, at my heart it's i'm an angel investor into 28 different companies mm -hmm. and i try to help fast forward those type of companies and then my passion projects my charity yes okay and we're gonna get to all of those <laughs> um and when people describe, people ask me all the time, how do you get jobs in social media? What are some of the ways that I make money and how do I do it? And I've said a lot of times it's a pl it's plugs I have. Right. And it's people like you, especially you and specifically you, you've helped me have jobs for the last three years. And um, I remembered thinking the significance of you and your business was about two or three years ago with the U wheel. Yep. And I read I read some of your homework about I did some homework on you about the U wheel, which is remember those hoverboards like the Christmas. Yeah. Everyone wanted them for Christmas. All the kids Everyone. wanted those little, the two wheeled things your grandma always like busted her ass on YouTube yes. with. And the kids busted their ass too. Yeah, and me probably. <laughs> I was drunk, but we'll talk about that later. Um, I remembered 
when I was explaining to people in Louisiana my job in LA and how being an influencer, what it meant, I remember, because I thought you made the U wheel. I thought right. you were the first one to we, make we, a hoverboard. Yeah, we owned it, but we didn't create it. Yeah. We just made a better version. Yes, and I, I eventually did some research, so t- we'll talk about that. But I remembered saying, I remember thinking, in Hollywood, you think about one thing in Hollywood, you think show business? Yeah. But I was like, I thought to myself, Hollywood is a bit bigger than that. Hollywood is determining what people are buying for Christmas. Absolutely. And since you're so social media savvy, you're kind of, you are connected to all these influencers. You, you kind of determine what people were buying their children for Christmas. Yeah, we did it with fidget spinners. We did it with eight-foot teddy bears. And we yeah. did it with hoverboards. It's your fault. All those <laughs> fucking fidget spinners, U-wheels, all those things your kids can't not have for Christmas, right. and they're just geeking over. That's Dan. Yeah. Which I think is so fascinating, and people don't know that. People just, you hear social media agency or some, you know. Yeah, it's not like, we're not like puppet masters, right? You we're, kind we're, of are. But we're... I think we're giving the people I think we're giving the people what they want yeah and we try to make it affordable pricing so mm-hmm. what happened with the hoverboards was there was two other hoverboard companies 1800 bucks and 1500 bucks mm-hmm. I was like damn that's expensive that's a lot that's a lot and especially for a family what if they have two kids you can't buy one of them a hoverboard they're just gonna battle that's braces right yeah so we figured out a way to make it for less than half that price and add in features like Bluetooth speakers and then we had 114 celebrities influencers post it mm-hmm. all in this short four or five month period and because you see little wayne amber rose lindsey pellis all these different characters posting it you see from all these different angles as a fan as a consumer young middle-aged or older you realize i want it as a younger or middle-aged if i'm older i realize that's the present i should get mm-hmm. and we kind of like mentally make it their idea yeah it's, a, I mean, it's just, cra- it's really crazy to me. It's really crazy that you have kind of taken social media and the internet and just encapsulated it with business. And when I was thinking back to your history, so I guess we got to start from the beginning. Sure. Oh God, because you, you ha- he has a really crazy world. Like you have had a pretty interesting and spectacular life so far at only 36. So where are you from? I was born in Russia. I uh, left when I was six months old. The fast forward version, I grew up in LA. Uh, parents got divorced, mm-hmm. we moved to San Diego. My, we survived on a family of four on 24 grand a year. And I have no idea. And uh, living in San Diego, which is not cheap. So yeah. that just forced me to work my, yeah. my butt off. So I was working three jobs, selling con candy at the stadium, working at Ruby's Diner, and working for a stockbroker under the table. What? And then I was selling <clears throat> candy at school, and I would have the teachers sell the candy for me in their classrooms, and I'd pick up the money every Friday. And I'd let the teachers keep one candy per day because I wasn't allowed to give them money. That's genius. <laughs> and and so, I, re- I heard your gym teacher didn't let you do that. Is, and I was thinking that's not on brand as a gym teacher. Correct. So it's pretty cool. Right. Um, <laughs> and that's how I met my business partner when I started my company. It was called Hoosier Daddy, mm-hmm. which we uh, trademarked that catchphrase for 300 different products. I met him because I also sold cereal boxes, mm-hmm. the little mini cereals. Oh my but God. those were expensive. Those were $1 each. What? And my best customer was this rich kid. Uh, his dad owned like a $200 million a year company. And. I drove my 1982 Buick, and he had a Corvette and an Escalade in high school. Wow. So two different worlds, and he became my business partner. Wait, the dad? No, the son. Oh, the, the yeah, son of the my, business My high man. school friend, yeah. Wow. And so we trademarked this catchphrase, who's your daddy? And we made big, ugly T-shirts that just said, who's your daddy in big letters? And we just sell them at school and during the lunch period. And we realized people really liked it. So we went to a clothing convention and ended up getting over a million dollars in orders. Oh, my God. From streetwear stores and like surfer stores, et cetera. And then from there, we ended up getting a $9.5 million licensing deal with Starter Apparel, 
Remember they make the sports jerseys and stuff? Mm -hmm. They gave us $9.5 million just for the UK. And we used that money that was coming in to go through the roller coasters because there's a lot of bad stuff that happened between. People take advantage of you. People screw you on contracts. People just know you're young. Mm -hmm. They charge us $36 for the sample sweaters when they should be $5 or $7. Like Dicks. Yeah. Yeah. So there was a lot of bad stuff in between. I don't want to make it sound like it's all sugar sugar plums. And uh, so for the next few years, we did the clothing thing. Then we decided to take it public on the stock market. Wow. So we raised $3.75 million in one day. And... Well, there was a year of paperwork leading up to that one day. Wow. And then uh, we decided we were going to do this energy drink under the same brand name, and we wanted to fix the energy drink market. There's 900 drinks on the market, mm-hmm. but all of them tasted like like that cough syrup, you know, that thickness? Yeah. So back then, all cans were just black or silver. So we made a bright yellow, a bright red, a bright green, so that when you looked in the cooler, you saw our cans pop out. And this was called Who's Your Daddy? Yeah. Who's Your Daddy yeah. Energy Drink. Okay. So over the next three years, I just didn't sleep. I got us into 55,000 retail stores in America, just traveling the country, meeting with Budweiser, Coors, Miller, Pepsi, in every little city in the country. Yeah. And then. Okay. <laughs> I'm gathering so much from this that I don't even think that people who have interviewed you have, like, did, you know, they've right. not given this to the audience, what you're getting here. So let me go back. First of all, um, when did you first hear Who's Your Daddy? In high school. In high school. How old were you? Like, who said it? So my partner would say it at school and everybody would laugh, but there was already a big song, uh, a big country song. With uh, Toby Keith, right? Yeah. Who's your daddy? My mom <laughs> loved that song. So oh, good. my God. I saw him in concert. Yeah. Anyway, but so who's your daddy? How old were you in high school? I mean, so you were maybe 17. Yeah, 17. So I'm thinking, doing my math, I'm probably like seven. Yeah. I'm 10 years younger. Because yeah. I remember when people said, who's your daddy, a lot. It got really big like two years later because... The Yankees in World Series versus the Red Sox, mm-hmm. uh, Big Poppy, he kept saying, who's your daddy? And then all of a sudden, CNN, Sports Illustrated, ESPN, huge, bold letters was, who's your daddy? Wow. So everybody called us to license the name. So we own the name in five continents. What? And just by sheer luck, this guy started saying, Complete, who's your daddy? Completely lucky. That's insane. Completely and what lucky. made you think when you heard the, the phrase to trademark it? What kind of kid in high school thinks, oh my God, this is a cool phrase. Let me trademark it. So we thought about trademarking just for clothing. Mm-hmm. But then my older brother and his, my partner's dad, they're both business guys. Mm-hmm. And so they were the ones that were protective of us and like, you got to set up your LLC. You got to set up your trademarks. You got to set up this. You got to set up. I couldn't spell LLC back then. Like mm-hmm. I had no idea what they're talking about. Yeah. So we had advisors around us to help guide us. Um, yeah. Man, those are what I would call like a spirit guide. Yeah. Like that's pure magic. First of all, what made your mother choose to move to LA and then San Francisco from Russia? Yeah, so we actually, it was fascinating. We had to like essentially bribe our way out back then because there was like the iron curtain, or iron wall, like you just couldn't leave Russia. Yeah. So we had to win our way through a, a lottery, like a bingo. And a hundred families a month got to leave. So it was tough. Um, they want, They just really wanted to come to America. So when they first got here, they opened up a, a Levi's jeans store. Mm-hmm. They had no money. Like, so first they were selling Levi's jeans at the swap meet. So every Saturday and Sunday, I worked on the swap meet as a four-year-old, two-year-old, three-year-old, like selling jeans and baseball, mm-hmm. baseball cards and comic books. Like, that's where it all first started. Um, and then they opened up uh, the Levi's jeans store. And I don't know if you remember The Incredible Hulk, but there used to be a TV show version. Yeah. And that's where it first got famous with Lou Ferrigno. Whenever those jeans were tearing, like that was from our jeans store. So they all have all these pictures of me like sitting on his shoulder, bawling my eyes out because he was always in a scary, oh my incredible God. Hulk outfit. Anyways. Um, so yeah, that's where it all started. That's amazing. It's amazing what your ambition in your adulthood always goes back to your childhood. Yes. Like that hustle mentality was, I mean, you were born into it because your parents I, had to hustle. Had to. 
That's so crazy. It's so crazy to think. So now we've got the Who's Your Daddy. Okay, so I'm just going to like break this down for the audience because even when I was listening to my research, it was like, what exactly did he do? Okay, sure. so he trademarks Who's Your Daddy um, to sell apparel. Yep. And eventually, so I guess with the struck of Loke that this big poppy baseball pl- baseball yeah. baseball player starts saying Who's Your Daddy yep. and it becomes a major catchphrase. International, yeah. Yeah, and you basically got the rights to this. Right. So you eventually sell $9 million of clothing. Just for just to the UK. Just to the UK. Yeah. So he gets the licensing to do that. Yeah. And then he expands to energy drinks. Right. He sees a niche in the market and he creates really bright colored energy drinks. And think about where we are now in twenty eighteen. When you think of an energy drink, I think of like fucking four loco. Right. So you're kind of the guy who started that. <laughs> so you're to blame for four loco. I, I don't want to take <laughs> I don't want to take that blame. The the thing was they all had the same taste. They were all the same cough syrup taste. Mm-hmm. And so we didn't think we were ever going to be the biggest one. We eventually became the seventh largest drink on the market. We never planned to be the biggest because Red Bull, Monster, and Rockstar were humongous. Oh, my God. We wanted to be the best tasting. Yeah. So we liked Gatorade. So we went and found the scientist that created Gatorade. He was like 73-year-old, wild-haired old man. And Oh, my he, God. So we found this guy, and he happened to be in Newport Beach. And we... We couldn't just buy it from him because he was rich because he was getting like an eighth of a penny off every Gatorade. And like he was already a gazillionaire. Yeah. So but he saw the hustle in our eyes and Red Bull had turned down the cranberry pineapple flavor, which we which we got from him. Mm-hmm. So he gives us this cranberry pineapple. He says, if you do one million dollars in sales, I'll let you have the green tea version because nobody had done a green tea energy drink. What? So we just go crazy. We're like, yeah, we go call up every single person we could think of. We go visit every distributor, every retail store. We do the million dollars. He gives us green tea. We win flavor of the year back to back versus 900 drinks in the market. Oh, my God. And that's the drink that you got for free yes. because you sold a million dollars of the other yeah. one that Red Bull rejected. Yes. How did you find Gatorade Man? There was no real Google back then. Yeah. So. No, like, so, like, what yeah. did you do? Uh, we were calling around. We, ha- we asked our trademark attorney. We asked our friends. We asked, like, we just started asking people. Yeah. And there was a guy in Irvine that said, oh, my nephew's cousin, sister's friend knows the guy. Like, it just became it was an actual stroke of luck. And we met at a TGI Fridays. I'll never forget. Holy shit. And at the TGI Fridays, he bought a bunch of plain cups and he brought multiple cans and we had to pick the flavor. And he knew, basically said, it was a setup. He's like, if you pick the cranberry pineapple, essentially. He didn't tell us what the name was. Yeah. If you pick the right flavor, that'll be your first flavor. And if you do a million, like he had this whole, wow. it's not an evil, not like an evil scientist thing, but like kind of. Kind of. It <laughs> sounds like it. I could imagine 70 year old Gatorade man. I have a whole vision of him in my head now. So out of all these cups, the stroke of luck again was the very first one we tasted. We said, we want this one. This is the, this is the one. Mm-hmm. And it happened to be the cranberry pineapple, and the other ones were not the cranberry pineapple. So, like, we were supposed to end up at this one. We drank it first, and we were so stern on, like, we just won this one. That's so sick. So he just he just stood behind us and went for it. That is really so sick and so amazing. And what I'm also hearing about when you decide to to make a product. So we talked about the U-Wheel. Yes. Oh, I actually didn't mention this about the U-Wheel. So when I was researching you and talking about the U-Wheel, so there's other companies who had the same product. Sure. This hoverboard, the Christmas thing yep. that people fell on in the kitchen yep. <laughs> i don't a know lot. a better way to say yeah. that and what i heard was they had terrible batteries yes so so frustrating yeah so that you were basically saying that they had a cell phone sized battery that was supposed to hold the weight of a human right. and of course they were like catching fire yeah so a lot of these main guys were trying to save money and make their batteries eight to twelve dollars and then to give you an idea ours was 93 dollars per battery wow so it's like a thousand percent more yeah. To give you the level of scale. We could have gone and used a $20 or $30 battery and still been really good. But 
we wanted it to be the best. Yeah. We, our hoverboards lasted the longest. We had the Bluetooth speakers, so we wanted a, fa a stronger battery. And it only, add, it only added one pound in weight. So it just didn't make any sense to us not to do it when you have this big of a margin. Because mm -hmm. they're selling for like 1800 bucks, 1200 bucks. Yeah. Ours was only 700 What? And we did free shipping. So we wanted to make it half the price. Yeah. And our margin wasn't as good as theirs, obviously, but we were selling way more. Yeah. And, and we were in Zoomies, the chain store, like the surfer chain store. So we were selling to retail and online. And then we would do special editions and ones. So like Steve Aoki or Amber Rose, they would like autograph them and we'd do special edition versions and they'd sign 50 of them type thing. That's amazing. So it's fun. And what I'm gathering is when you, so even when you set out to make an energy drink, you're trying to create a better product. Exactly. You've never seemed to just, oh, I'm going to just make something to have too. it and no. sell it and make the most money. No. I'm just going to make the best one. Yeah. We don't want to be the Me Too version of the product because yeah. just being a better price isn't really going to be compelling. So if we make a better tasting energy drink, people will like it. If we make a better version of a hoverboard with speaker, Bluetooth speakers and more affordable, people will like it. Yeah. When I did the online poker site, I wanted to be the coolest poker site in the market. And like I, I wasn't going to be the biggest poker site or the biggest energy drink. I just wanted to be the niche of what mattered to people. Yeah. And that's what I think made it stand out. When we did the eight-foot teddy bears, it's because Costco was making six-foot teddy bears. Mm -hmm. They were doing great with six-foot teddy bears, but they were too expensive. They were two two ninety-nine. Yeah. So we made ours one forty-nine. And bigger. And bigger. Oh my god. So if you make it bigger, softer, half the price, and free shipping, and you have Jake Paul like carrying these teddy bears and making all these celebrities influencers carry these teddy bears and make it look at these silly fun photos mm -hmm. you win yeah well so for all my listeners and for everyone watching so i'm kind of going back through your life okay so you kind of you started in russia yeah then baby dan comes to yep. america he's yes. in california hustling with his family yep. he's got the who's your daddy thing yep licenses nine million uk yep. for that name and then he comes to uk and then it expands to an energy drink so I think that this is where you get into the poker. Yeah. So, okay, on, so the on the 10-year anniversary from starting the company in high school, so when I was 27, mm -hmm. I started when I was 17, on that day, 521, I'll never forget, I resigned. So we had hats that said 521, which is uh, May 21st. Oh, cute. On the day of that, I resigned so mm -hmm. that I could start the online poker site because I saw a void in the poker market and I loved poker. Okay. And I just want another feather in my cap. I've been doing the same company for a decade mm -hmm. and I just want another shot at glory. So... I decide I'm going to start a poker site. No idea how to build it. No idea what I'm going to do. I just start calling everybody. I end up putting on a backpack and moving to Malta. Where the fuck is Malta? Exactly. I had no <laughs> idea where Malta was. Is it Oklahoma? It sounds <laughs> I, like it'd be there. I just knew that I had to get my gaming license in Malta. Mm -hmm. I knew there was a certain building that people lived in right next to the, the Hilton there. Okay. And I just I went and booked a room at the Hilton for one night. I convinced the landlord to, uh, I found a leasing agent and landlord. I said, I'll prepay them that day. I'll prepay you for a year of rent if you let me move in right away. Wait, and so where is Malta? It's in the UK, and it's right underneath the boot of Sicily. Okay. So it's like a 45-minute boat ride below Italy. So it's a tiny little speck. It's like Gilligan's Island in the middle <laughs> of nowhere. And uh, I just lived there by myself for a couple of years, and I'd have poker friends come visit me. And so you were there to get a gaming license. What yeah. kind of work does that take to get a gaming license? And why is this in the UK and not America? So even though we were an American-faced site, over 50% mm -hmm. of our players were in America, mm -hmm. um, the gaming licenses were mostly in Gibraltar and Malta and like uh, Cyprus, mm -hmm. all UK-based in that surrounding territory. And so they're just the best at it. Like gaming in the UK had been around for a lot, much longer than America, and mm -hmm. it still exists there even though it's not here in America. So I got KPMG Accounting to be my big firm. I found the right gaming license guys. I found 
a big poker platform to help me build mine. I signed the third largest team of poker pros in the world. Um, I signed Dan Bilzerian before he existed. This is 2008, 2009, 2010. Oh, my God. So we should basically be thinking you for my career in some way. <laughs> right? we'll, oh, we'll my get, God. Yeah, I mean, I installed Twitter on his phone. Like we, oh, so my God. So it all started. We shot the very... Can you de-install it? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, now, we shot the first videos together. And, I mean, we were neighbors. Mm -hmm. So him and I used to play poker with each other, but we were neighbors at this high-rise in Las Vegas. And uh, we shot all these great YouTube videos together, but one in particular... We drove out into the desert, and he has this really, really big gun, which I'm sure lots of people know. 23 million people know that he has a really big gun. Yeah. <laughs> lots of really big guns. And uh, we, we bought an RV, and we painted Victory Poker on the side of this RV. Well, they spray painted it. And we brought a bunch of the poker pros out there, and we had Steve Aoki, Sarah Underwood. Again, this is like 2009-type range. Yeah, so and this so, is a big deal. Yeah, to so have a, a DJ, a Playboy Playmate, and Bilzerian Huge. as your faces, plus... 21 poker pros is a fascinating team to be the cool kids right mm -hmm. so because my competitors have bazillions of dollars so i had to be a create a unique thing and that's why we want to be the cool kids yeah so we drive out to the desert and bilzerian in one shot blows up this <laughs> rv like oh my god a movie scene it would have looked fake that's um, how amazing it was one shot it hits it dead on like the perfect cloud like the perfect explosion Within seven minutes, you hear the helicopters are coming and fire marshals are. I was like, "Oh my god!" It was, yeah, we had to pay a fine for that. But this it is was, the one he got in trouble for, huh? No, no. Oh shit. No. <laughs> okay. Uh, no, th so this video gets millions and millions of views on YouTube, and all the poker sites are talking about it. Every news site is talking about it. It's just like this fun, crazy scene, and it literally is a movie scene. I mean, just one shot, just. What and who thinks about this? By the way, in advertising, let's just let's write our name <laughs> on the RV and blow it up, right? And have some super hot and really famous people. It's so, so, yeah, the, the video was awesome. So, anyways, so during that next that next ten weeks, we we like grow like crazy. Um, I send Bill Zarin off to take a bunch of the poker pros on adventures. Mm -hmm. So they go rent yachts in Cancun. They go off to the UK. They go on trips here. They go trips there. In between there. I'm taking like Antonio Sfandiari and those type of poker pros and I'm placing them on poker television shows wearing the Victory Poker patch. Oh, wow. So what happened was our two main competitors were spending $9 million on a TV set and then three of the nine players are wearing Victory Poker. Wow. So we're getting the free advertising and you know when you watch a poker scene, all you do is stare at their chest to their face. That's it. It's supposed to be eyes up here, right? But you, st you see everything. <laughs> yeah. But you see that patch so perfectly. Mm-hmm. And they were frustrated because we were getting all this free promotion, but they needed, you want Bill Zarian on your TV show. You want Antonio on your TV show. You want me, the business guy, playing. I was playing on every poker show I could myself just oh, wow. because I could talk about at the table. It's like a commercial for us. Yeah. So I'm risking 50 grand or 100 grand to play on these shows versus players that are in theory better than me because they're poker pros. But it's a commercial for my site. Hell yeah. It's a commercial for all the boys and the girls that are like signed to my company. And so I had Sarah Underwood playing on freaking, was it CBS or ABC? Wait, she played poker on TV? Yes. She's so cool. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and oh she did God. good. She played on uh, a really big show, actually, that was like on Sunday primetime during like NFL season. And uh, she played in the World Series of Poker, so she's got like oh super God. low top and like... And Victory Poker? poker like Victory Poker patch and like a super... Uh, I'll show you the pictures. It's amazing. Like, And she did good. She would like make a final table and play all the charity events. And anyways, so... We were trying to make it wow. unique. We we're trying to make it unique because I couldn't fight against the budgets of poker stars in full tilt. These guys were humongous. Yeah. So we had to become the coolest poker site. 
And I think creating really good video content, again, this is 2009, 2010, and it's mostly YouTube and Twitter and Facebook. There was no Instagram. There was no Snapchat. It just mm-hmm. didn't exist. Yeah. So we had to really focus on long-form content. Those videos still to this day have millions and millions of views. I want to go back and watch them. Type in, you'll like this one, Victory Poker Models. Okay. You'll see. I'm scared. You're, you're going to see a lot of your friends there. Like This, wow. is, this is the creation of Jessa Hinton, Jessica Bersiaga, like like they were already models but mm-hmm. this is these videos got the millions of views oh my god i can't wait to go watch them yeah. this is so crazy so once again this is the third time i'm hearing that you've taken something that exists these poker i guess like online gaming sure and you've made it cooler and more interesting and you kind of hustled your way into being at a table where you essentially weren't invited to be at <laughs> right yeah that's just so crazy to me okay so what comes next after poker so I'm then, loving this whole timeline of Dan's life because so, I've hung out with you a lot and we've been at events and I've just, I've never heard all this. Yeah. <laughs> I've never really known. What does Dan do? So then on April 15th, something called Black Friday happens. Okay. And it's the end of online poker in America. Isn't tax day? It's worse. Oh God. It's the okay. worst business day of my life. Oh my God. Okay. So I'm in town from Malta. I'm in Vegas. I get a phone call at 10, 10 a.m. from Dan Bozarian and he says, where are you? So I'm at the Bellagio. He's like, why the fuck aren't you in Malta? I was like, what do you mean? Like, I'm, I'm across the street from you. I'm at the Bellagio. It's okay. I got a meeting at 12 o'clock. I had to come. I'm meeting this billionaire guy. And I'll explain. I tried to explain. He's like, bro, turn on the TV. It's over. I'm like, what are you talking about? It sounds like the sky is falling. He's what? like, he's like, it's, it's worse. Just turn on the TV. So all of a sudden, my phone just starts lighting up. And again, this is when text messaging is first getting going. This is 2010, 2011. I have them at the restaurant turn on the TV and it's my heart sinks. My two biggest competitors and another third competitor are all shut down. They got raided. 16 countries worth their bank accounts are seized. Billions of dollars. It was like this mind blowing, like what just happened? But ours was functional. I never got a call. Uh (laughs) Knock on wood. I never got a call. I never did anything wrong. And I just realized like, what am I going to do? At 12 p.m., I'm supposed to meet this guy. He invented the slot machine loyalty card. Mm-hmm. He owned the rights to every Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy slot machine in the world. Jesus. He owned uh, riverboat casinos in Louisiana. Oh, my God. Love those. <laughs> he, owned, he, owned four, he owned four of those. Mm-hmm. And he owned uh, all the Krispy Kremes in the U.K. So he's like this legendary guy. And he owned Pride, which he sold to the UFC. So he's like this icon I was so excited to meet. Yeah. I walk into his room at the Hard Rock Hotel at 12 o'clock for our meeting. And what does he say? said, you look like somebody died. Oh, no. He didn't say hi. Mm-hmm. Those are the first words this guy says to me. You look like somebody died. I said, no, it's, it's, it's about that bad. Turn on the TV. So he puts it on. Within like three channels, he finds it. And it's like bloody warfare on the news. Like this poker site, this poker site, billions of dollars, 16 countries, everything seized. It's... So he, he gets Steve Wynn on the phone. And I just hear Steve infuriated. Because 11 days prior, he announced his big partnership with one of these three poker sites publicly. Oh, my God. And he's like, how could they not know this? We went through so much to do this properly. They took two years to do this deal. They just announced it. All of a sudden, that site gets shut down. So the win obviously has to remove themselves from that situation. They didn't do anything wrong. The win yeah. was perfectly fine. Yeah. Um, just bad they luck. Can't, yeah, just bad luck on timing. So what happened was our, our competitors were miscoding credit card transactions. What that means is... Let's say you you deposited 500 bucks on a poker site. Yeah. It would say like mattresses.biz. Then I deposited 200 bucks on the same site. It would say PS3. And they were miscoding it so that the credit card processors weren't 
processing saying poker stars or full tilt. Yeah. So they were hiding it saying mattresses or flowers or Why? PS3s. Did- it wasn't it wasn't illegal. It's just that poker, that Visa, MasterCard don't want to process for a poker operator. Okay. So they were lying. Wow. Mine, on the other hand, said victorypoker.net. Wait, so you're and safe. And it was Wells Fargo. Wait, so you're safe? Perfectly safe. You're safe in all of this? Yes. I've been so scared for like yeah, the last 10 right? minutes. I'm like, oh my God, what happens? Did you go to chat? I'm like, what yeah. happens? So for the next four days, I do 83 interviews. I do from as big as ESPN down to the local anything. Like just so I could go on there and literally show them bank statements and show them proof. I paid back all 41,000 players within four days. I shut the site down, even mm-hmm. though I could have kept going internationally. Yeah. I didn't want to, I didn't feel comfortable anymore. Yeah. So I shut the site down, paid back the 41,000 players. I started telling everybody, look, KPMG accounting, Wells Fargo, Victory Poker. Like this is what they should have been doing. I'm sorry. I don't know what they did wrong, but yeah. I'm paying all my people back. And I'll do whatever I can to help advise these guys. And I start getting hired to consult for four of the land-based casinos and one of the largest financial firms in the world. And I start teaching and consulting, and I became the good boy in the space because nobody else in America is, was an executive at poker site anymore. They were all in jail or in trouble or just got, or they fled the country. Yeah. Why would someone do that? Billions of dollars causes greed. That's so crazy to me. Yeah. Oh, my God. I'm such a rule follower. I'd be so, I can't believe that you did it right. I had to. There's, there is no amount of money I would go to jail for. Yeah. There's not. Because That's so nice. Time is so precious. I just, there's no amount. Yeah. People were offering us tens of millions of dollars to do like sports betting versions of our poker site. I said, no. Like it's easy money. It's free money. Mm-hmm. It fits with what we're doing. But sports betting at the time was illegal in America. Yeah. Now it's finally becoming legal. But back then it sounds amazing. I, I would love to get $10 million or $20 million to do a, a, a sports site. And I just... There is no amount I would go to jail for. That's good. That's a really good righteous thing. I think that's why I think a lot of people who are righteous are more successful. Or obviously they're successful. Yeah, some things I, take longer, but it's worth yeah, it. Yeah, I think me. the world favors people like that. I like to hope so. I, I like to sleep peacefully at night. It's yeah. like why I paid back all the players right away. Mm-hmm. My competitors didn't pay them back for years, and they only got lucky to pay them back because somebody came in to save the day. Wow. Poker stars came and got billions of dollars and paid back like four hundred million dollars to these people, which they didn't have to do. And it was lovely that they did it, but that was like a rare anomaly that that happened. Yeah. It took a lot of like magic for that to happen. If those people didn't get paid back, I mean, you're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars of real, your 50 bucks, my 80 bucks, that guy's 500 bucks. Those people didn't get paid back. Yeah. The people that had like 40 grand in there, they're probably going to get by because, but the guy that had like 150 bucks in there, that was a big deal for that person. Totally. Anyways, they all eventually got it back. uh, And... I'm just happy that the way it all unfolded, it allows me to like, I can walk in the poker rooms and everybody's giving me a high five. Yeah. Where those guys walk in, they're like throwing beer at them or talking crap to them. Those guys still have the audacity to walk into Ooh. the poker rooms. Wow. They, 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 they disappeared for a couple of years, but like two years ago, they just decided to get cocky and just showed up. Everybody films videos like talking crap to them. Like, where's my money? Why'd you steal my money? Like, what? yeah, it's, it's intense. What? Wow, this is so crazy. I've never heard... Um, the other side? <laughs> no. And you know what? I was listening to all of your interviews, and I've never heard kind of your life sp- this way. Yeah. I've I, never heard I don't think story. I've gone this deep before. I love about the best this. Stuff. <laughs> I think this is so fascinating because you've had, I mean, some major life events yeah. already. You're only 36. Yeah. You've had what has happened in someone's entire life happen in, I guess, spans of five-year increments almost. Yeah. 
So I'm going, I'm still in my head. I've got this whole map in my brain right okay. now. So we're going Russia. We go to California, Who's Your Daddy. Yep. We go to the UK yep. and we do Who's Your Daddy Energy. Then we go to Malta, which I'm assuming is this way. Yep. I don't know. But we go to Malta, we get the gaming license. We become the only, I guess, successful online poker site that lasted and didn't go into major jail. And then you become a consultant for... Um, These casinos, yeah. Yeah. So what happens next? So now I've got to finish. i got to yeah. know the whole story. So now I realize I don't want to have all my eggs in one basket ever again mm-hmm. because I lost a company worth tens of millions of dollars over somebody else's mistakes. And f- call it what you want. as a, It's a failure. Yeah. It's, just check the scoreboard. Whether I failed or not, it's a failure. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to have it all in one place again. So I be, that's when I started becoming an angel investor. And that's when I started to work on doing the social media agency because social media was just now starting. Mm-hmm. And that's when I realized, like, I'm going to consult for these guys. I'm gonna I'm gonna spread out my uh, my your eggs in yeah, all the baskets, yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. And um, so yeah, for the next couple of years, that's what I did. And, and this makes sense on the timeline because about 2009, you were saying the Steve Aoki Instagram barely started. It's not started actually. Yeah. So you're doing these viral YouTube it, videos yeah, when yeah. they're major successes. Yes. And then so you start angel investing. We would have model videos get. 2 million, 6 million, 1 million, 3 million views. Like back, back then, then, it's insane. With nowhere, to, no way to push it out. Yeah. You just tweeted to your like 4,200 followers back then. Like to get millions of views back then, it's because there was much less content and there was much less people doing the model side of things. Like, mm-hmm. so we did a UK models, not versus, but also American models, and then we'd combine them. Mm-hmm. And so Sarah Underwood would fly to the UK with me. And then we'd have her host the other the UK models, and they were big over there. Mm-hmm. And, and then we that's how we got so many millions of followers on both sides. Wow. Um, anyways, you'll like those videos. The graphic, I can't wait to see these. The, the graphics are so cool. They were so ahead of their time. Oh, my God. Um, so now we're like 2013. So I, a friend of mine has raised a bunch of money for his tech company called MoPro, where they build websites, social media, e-commerce, um, for small businesses, local restaurants and doctors and lawyers and real estate agents. Mm-hmm. So I came in, I hired a sales team for him, uh, brought on like 35 sales reps and we did 5.4 million. No, that was, we did 5.4 million for you, Wills. We did 4.5 million, sorry, wow. 4.5 million for this company in like you four or five months. Backwards. <laughs> uh, and got him like 1,100 accounts. It was like 5,000 per account. And it was like a really great, fun ride for to help his company but the goal was just get him to around five million sales or do a year for him and then let him grow and now he's like you know 900 employees later like it worked yeah but that was my passion and i never really wanted to have a job i wanted to do it to help my friend's company and so i took on this job as a i don't want to call it a favor but Mm -hmm. it was kind of a favor that turned into a lot of fun and i i realized that door-to-door sales was actually i loved it yeah i was training these sales up to go door-to-door and i would have the boys and girls at the conventions dress as doctors and nurses. Cute. And they would do like these uh, analyses. This is from Analy- MoPro, right? From MoPro, Mopro yeah. Okay. So people would, small business owners would come to the booths and they would wear these white, you know, doctors and nurses jackets and people would come to their booths to get their website analyzed. Cute. And it was, it was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so we did that. And then after that, that was time to go full, full force on the social media agency. Mm-hmm. So built that up for a couple of years. And we're still doing it, but built that up for a couple of years and got us some serious clients. Yeah. Like that's when Fashion Nova first got started. Yeah, this that's is around the time I met you too. Yes. Mm-hmm. So this is that turning point. And um, Instagram is really 
spreading its wings like yeah. it's, it's getting going i'm running in slow-mo videos uh, yeah exactly yeah around march yeah. 27 2014 <laughs> yeah. 2015 so that's when leverage media starts popping mm-hmm. um that's when bilzerian starts going yeah and it was it was a fascinating to watch um obviously they're you know Liverage being the biggest videographer on Instagram and then Bilzerian becoming the biggest male on Instagram mm-hmm. outside of r- the rock type celebrities. Yeah. The biggest one of is just a social media straight influencer. Um, it was fascinating to be a part of those things like and seeing what were the initial trigger points. Like the biggest thing, I think the biggest one for Bilzerian was the contest where he put 30 Xboxes on a glass table and he said Who- whoever tags the most friends is gonna the top 30 people are gonna win these xboxes what oh my god he got like 130,000 comments what back when his page only had like 800,000 followers he got like 130,000 comments and everybody's tagging three to five friends so he gains millions of followers like that it was magical amazing it was magical now they wouldn't let you do that now i would say it's limited comments or something that's so genius and psychotic i want to see the post yeah (laughs) um so he had some other amazing ones back then but then like the one that he did for charity, he wouldn't post. It was always so strange. He did some amazing mm-hmm. things for charity that people don't see. Yeah. Like he filled up like semi truck full of toys for the fireman department. And I was like, oh great, this is gonna be an amazing post. He's like, yeah. not posting it. Oh. <laughs> so. That's the, actually kind of cute yeah. that he wants to seem like a big bad badass, but he's like a super nice guy deep down. <laughs> yes. That's actually really sweet. So, watching the growth of both the rich media, Bilzerian, and some other friends, um, that really spawned what we were going to do in the social media space. So we did it for online gaming sites internationally, uh, just because I knew a bunch of these owners just from back in my history. Mm -hmm. Um, So we would do commercial campaigns for them with like Bilzerian and Paris Hilton and Mini-Me together and like doing these fun casino commercials. I think you were there, right? Maybe. (laughs) Uh, So we did a lot of these fun things like that. And then it really became about the fashion brands especially like the fashion of types. Mm-hmm. Um, the Kardashians started really popping on social media. They were already famous, obviously, but that's when they decided they were going to start doing brand campaigns. Yeah. So we did a lot of campaigns with them. And then it became like, okay, a lot of word of mouth of like, who did that? Who did that? People were just coming to us. So mm-hmm. we didn't even have a website. We've never had a website. That's so crazy. Yeah, so you're basically like the most super plug. Wait, so what are some of the lists of people that you've worked with? So ones that people on Instagram would know. Obviously, like every Instagram girl. <laughs> yeah, every Instagram girl for sure. Yeah, um, that me first yeah. form, all of that. You've been involved with Dan Bilzerian, obviously yeah. Sarah Underwood, Jessa Hinton, Jessica Bersiaga. Yeah, but even what do you work with? Like, um, what is that big hair vitamin? Did sugar you, Bear Hair. Yeah, Sugar oh, yeah. Bear Hair. I love I those guys. You work with them. Yeah. You've also been involved with like Dollar Shave Club at a point. So we did. So we actually own Dollar Beard Club. A piece okay, that's yeah. So that's we what I mean. we co-founded Dollar Beard Club. We brought Bilzerian into the company, mm-hmm. introduced him to the founders, and then he ended up investing and doing, making it a much bigger thing. So my partner and I, we got involved with Dollar Beard Club five months prior to launch, got them set up with warehouse and shipping and all these things, and they really knew what they wanted, and it was 11 really bearded guys. Mm-hmm. They're and, funny. Uh, yes. Yeah, so they created this amazing video. They shot the video themselves. The day we went live, Brandon and I, my partner owns 36 million followers on social media, so mm-hmm. he owns at female, at fitness, at style, at beauty, at makeup, at travel, at marijuana. He owns all these accounts. Yeah, which for listeners, these are kind of major accounts that people would just coincidentally follow. You'll right. accidentally go to follow to. the first word that's named fashion right. or beauty or fitness girls right. or something like that. Right. So he's what he's saying is he's built up these accounts of a shit ton of people. You said 36? 36 million, yeah. 36 million people. Yeah. And so these aren't accounts with 
like Lindsay Payloss in my account. These are fitness. These are hot girls. These are, right. hot, you know, sports, whatever. Or yeah, like 36 at, million. Yeah, at beauty, at makeup, at weddings. Yeah, and a so, lot of people wouldn't think that these things matter, but they definitely matter. And they're, all, they're owned by boys that just yeah. realize that girls really like this stuff and we want to make really good content for them. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times there's no ads, there's no sales. So yeah. the reason that Brandon and I, Brandon's pages do so well is that we create mostly really fun, taggable content and shareable content and then just slip in ads when it, when it, there's sometimes a week goes by, we don't do any ads. Yeah. But then we do two or three in a day and they convert really well because people are like getting so much value along the way and having fun that they don't mind it. Right. Most pages do add, 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 good post, add, good post, add, 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 post. Yeah. That's just not, that's going to burn out their followers and people don't understand. You can't do like the black China method where you're doing 20 ads a day and then yeah. one or two real posts. You have to do good posts and then occasionally do the ads and they're going right. to convert much better. Yeah. So those, those accounts help us. And a lot of the account, a lot of the clients come because they message those accounts or they message Brandon or myself, or they ask the girls to then say, Hey, who got you that deal? And then they just refer them to us. And then we just really try to focus on the, the fashion mobile apps and then uh, physical products or food and drinks, the sugar bear hair, the fit tea. Mm-hmm. Those are some of our, favorite clients because the owners themselves are really entrepreneurial and they're willing to gamble. I mean, it's expensive spending six figures on a Kardashian or six figures with 50 different Instagram models or fitness models or males. Like, um, it's a big gamble, you know, and spending seven figures also. Yeah. When you want to do, if you want to do multiple Kardashians, it's seven figures. (laughs) If you want to do hundreds of Instagram. How much for the baby Kardashian? Like, what is the deal that we're going to get? Can I have like one and a half Kardashians? <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's mind boggling what they've created. Wow. So you're, you're really a man who's involved in so much of what we see and I don't, and so much of Instagram followers don't even know that. Right. You're almost like the secret king of Instagram, I would venture to say. You're allowed to say it. I'm not I'm, it. No, he, it's, it's really true. It's really on. I'm so shocked that you're kind of, you're such a humble guy. Like you're always super nice and calm and you're not that kind of showy guy. You don't have to say, Oh, I'm the king of Instagram, but I'm here to say it. You really are it. because as so for someone like me, you're a direct reason why I've had many jobs. You're a direct reason why I've been able to pay my bills and you're a direct reason why I've gotten to pursue like dreams of mine. And I pushed you to do this. Yeah, you literally like, you pushed <laughs> me to do this. And I, I was like, how, how the hell do I start a podcast? And I literally texted Just you that question. Yeah. So this is what you're doing. So now you've got your all your angel investments now. You're involved in all these social media businesses. So I'm guessing you're making money through random things. What's your next big – do you have a next big passion or project or is it a secret? Because I can tell in your life that you, you go in waves. Yeah. It seems like – and I don't think you're going to stop anytime soon. So in my brain, I'm really excited for what's next. There's a, there's a big thing happening now. Um, I took on a big undertaking with a friend of mine in Dubai. Mm-hmm. Uh, he owns the music arena. He owns the mall. He owns oh all God. the gold's gyms out there. He owns the biggest comic book store in the world, the comic book chain. He owns all these different things, like mm-hmm. 9,800 employees. And six days from now, I'm opening up an office 30 feet away. Oh, my God. For him and all his companies. And I'm helping bring all of his companies into one place and bring some of his live events to America. Oh my God. So he owns a beauty festival out there. Yeah, I've heard of it. Um, he owns a uh, the Day of the Dead festival, and he owns PopCon, which is like 54,000 like comic book, comic con types of things. Wow. So he owns these three big festivals in Dubai and Asia, mm-hmm. and I'm bringing them all to America. 
So you're basic. So next up is basically international affairs. Yeah. You're about Let's to take go. business and <laughs> yeah. mix international affairs. This is really amazing stuff. I'm excited. This one's a fun one. Wow. You really, I mean, I want to give you like a round of applause for me because I feel like you've really earned it and you deserve it. Your life is so amazing. And I think it's so interesting that your parents came from Russia and you have an immigrant background, really. What does that say to you, especially in like our political climate now, where being an immigrant and yeah. families being separated and deportation is something that we talk about daily um, in politics and in the government? What is that? How does that affect you as a, as a son of someone, an immigrant parent? Parents. So it's interesting because I think there's two different versions of immigrants. Mm -hmm. I think there's the people that are coming here to start a new life and that are going through the processes. I think it's insanity to send them away. Mm-hmm. I think when people are breaking into the country, I understand when you're like, not the wall, but I understand if you have people that are forcing their way in and they're coming here and they're squatting and they're not trying to get a job and they're trying to hide under the radar and avoid our system. Yeah. I understand that. Right. I understand why U.S. citizens could be upset with that because if people are coming in, and it's not just Mexico, but people are coming into right. the country and they're trying to avoid paying taxes and avoid and taking away low-income jobs that maybe our high school students wanted to have that job and now these people are taking it. I understand the frustration with that. Yeah. But somebody uh, migrates here from from Canada or from Africa or from wherever and they want to go to college here and they want a job here and they want to work here and they're like, why would you want them not to be here? I yeah. mean, they're going to provide more value and more income and more... Gener why would we want them to do that in other countries if they're going to bring value here? Yeah. Um, for lots of reasons. We need them to spend money here. We need them to exist here. We want them to produce and be creative here. and Like, we want that. So it's frustrating from that perspective. I understand I understand the true, like, America version of, like, right. stay out. Yeah. Um, but I think we'd be missing out on a lot because, you know, over 50% of, the, like, the Fortune 500s are created by immigrants. And that gives us jobs in return. Of that's, course. That's directly given me a job of multiple course. times, almost nearly every time. Yeah. And Wow. So I think the the reason that I work so hard and the reason that I'm not flashy is it's be truly because of where I came from and I understand the other side of it. Absolutely. I understand like two grand a month for a family of four is not simple. And you've worked a minimum wage job. You said, yeah. was it Ruby Tuesdays? Yeah, Ruby Diner. Yeah, yeah, I've worked at Winn-Dixie Marketplace, which is like a Walmart yep. in Louisiana. Yep. So I know what it's like to make seven twenty-five for an hour of work in fluorescent lighting. Yep. It's fucking miserable. Yep. And I think, I really think it's a special, I think everyone should work a minimum wage job to. at least one time. Because it really is how you're going to relate to other people. It's going to determine how you spend the value of a dollar, or what you determine is the value of a dollar. You want to know how old I am? Four seventy-five. What does that mean? That was the hourly rate. Oh, my God. <laughs> 475 Wow. Think about that. That's before taxes. And you were living in California, so that was the best minimum wage you were going to get. Yeah. In Louisiana, you were probably getting paid like rice. Right. <laughs> or like they're giving you crawfish for like an hour of work. Yeah. But I, I think that's what causes me like I haven't owned a car in four years. I don't need all my friends have Lamborghinis and this and that. Wow. I love them for it. That's great. Right. And it's not that I don't like that. Not that I don't like the flashy things. It's just not for me. I'm the same exact way. You know, I drive, I just, you knew I bought a new yeah, car. I have yeah. a Mazda um, CX-5. Because yeah. I'm like, I, if I loved a Lexus car, if that was like my interest, I'd be so down. Right. But it's not. And I know the value of that dollar. I would rather spend that dollar on like a photo shoot or bomb building, makeup. Building your brand. Yeah, a glam, yeah. like yeah. something nice. Maybe a beautiful podcast right? hosting area, <laughs> right? Wow, it's really, I love hearing your story. And I love that you have such an amazing background and you've really made something out of 
Not much. Yeah, not much at all. It's crazy. I want to discuss, oh, yeah, this is where we get to the fun part. So what is the most amazing thing about you is you give back. So you have a charity. It's called the Model Citizen Fund. Yeah. So what is that all about? So I realized about six years ago I couldn't cure cancer and I couldn't cure AIDS. Same. And I saw billions of dollars getting raised for that, and I didn't think I would be able to scratch the surface of helping that. Mm-hmm. And so I kept doing charity events for these other types of charities for years, and I just never got to see the cause and effect. Yeah. So I finally wanted to create a charity with no overhead, meaning there is overhead, but I pay for it. So a lot of charities have very big overheads, and the executives take big salaries. Mm-hmm. Again, that's a whole different discussion. I just wanted to be a 0% charity. So if 100 bucks comes in, 100 bucks goes to, the, to these backpacks. So we make backpacks for the homeless with 150 emergency supply items inside. And these 14 pounds of supplies could be given out at homeless shelters, teen abuse shelters, women abuse shelters, and orphanages. Mm-hmm. And we keep it very straightforward. You can either have the backpack shipped to you and you go give it out yourself. You can give us an address and we'll ship it for you. Or you can just let us choose where it goes. Yeah. And this will be our seventh year. Uh, yeah, we're four weeks away. Seventh year anniversary is coming up. Wow. Congratulations. So yeah. how many backpacks in total have you created? Well, I can't sure. imagine. Like, Tens of thousands. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, and I've seen you. I've seen videos of you handing them out, especially in Los Angeles. We have an incredible incredibly bad homeless problem um our homeless population shouldn't say problem you know it's a problem yeah it's a problem for both they're not the you know it's a problem for no it's a problem for both sides yeah it's a solvable problem too that's what's frustrating yeah when you realize like how how basic the needs are for most of these people it's hard when people are strung out on drugs i get that that's it's harder to solve a problem when they don't want it to be solved there's been not just studies but there's been proof they tested in san diego they built a high-rise they moved in all these homeless people. Mm-hmm. It was like 350 people. And I think 80 of them moved out. Oh. They just left. Yeah. Because they weren't comfortable there. They weren't yeah. comfortable having in their own apartment. Yeah. They wanted to live on the street. It's so hard to grasp. Yeah. But that's what they were. And that's what they they existed as for years. So not everything is solvable. But the other 270 were ecstatic to have an apartment. Wow. And it doesn't even need to be that level. If they just had a roof over their head running water, you know, a mattress and some basic food. The other things I understand are way too expensive. We can't give them all medical. We can't give them all those special things. Mm -hmm. But we can afford to put some warehouses full of homeless people. We can afford to figure out some porta potties and some sandwiches and some basic food. And we can get donations for all everything. Like Walmart could donate a couple million dollars and it wouldn't, they could donate a hundred million dollars and it wouldn't even be a line item for them. Walmart could donate a whole Walmart. I'm not a very big exactly. Walmart fan. So if you follow me on Twitter, you know I shade Walmart all the time. It's just it's too easy for these type of companies when they the Walmarts of the world, for example, they could donate a bazillion dollars in supplies and it legitimately wouldn't affect their bottom line whatsoever. That's so sick. And it's just a write off. Yeah. And it, it it's such a solvable thing and so I didn't think I was gonna be able to cure homelessness. What I thought was, if I gave them a backpack full of supplies, half of it's food and drinks, and the other half is actual sleeping bag, a watch, eye mask, earplugs, basic Major needs, stuff. Uh, books and local guides, uh, clothing, and ex- anyways, there's a bunch of stuff in there. Mm-hmm. It gives them a fresh start, and it gives them stuff to last them for a month or two, but it's not the ultimate cure. Yeah. What I want to add to the backpacks, I want to add Visa gift cards. I want to add Subway, Starbucks. I want to add food gift cards, and I want to add a cell phone with a prepaid thousand minutes, um, because you can't get a job without a cell phone. Yeah. Um, just there's a weird, not a law, but like basically a law. They have to 
have a cell phone. And so I want to add those type of things to it. But ultimately, outside of that, we don't change the backpacks for anybody. We will add things. Yeah. We will never change our backpacks. So people are like, oh, make a women-focused or a children-focused one. No, we'll add we'll add women's necessities inside of it, yeah. but they should get everything else also. We'll, we'll add baby-related items for a mom and the women's items, but also they should still have the core 150 items. And I do that because if I start to do too many different things, then nothing happens. Yeah. If I stick to the one backpack, which I've done for the last six years, I don't mind adding whatever people want to add into it, but I don't want to change. So we do a lot with the women abuse shelters. I like those a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like that they exist a lot, but I of like, course. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I like helping those help. a lot. Um, and the teen abuse shelters are really good too. Wow. And I know we've even done um, like toy drives and yes. stuff. And we've done, I remember yep. for Christmas, I went to Target and I was buying all these mini size. Oh, it was all the hurricanes last year. Yes. And you encourage yeah. all of all of the influencers and people you work with to come by yep. and bring materials. And we really did. Yeah, You've yeah. directly made me go yeah. out and buy things for other people yeah. and bring them to ship yeah. them to them. We filled up two airplanes yeah. full, full of it. I remember that. I was so busy. I made someone go drop it off. <laughs> yep. She did. And I was really um, thankful. Yeah. So we do, we have the back to school drive coming up in mm-hmm. a week and a half. Um, we always do them at the same place at Hubble Studio for Trina's Kids Foundation. So Model Citizen Fund partners with Trina's Kids Foundation or other foundations when it's for them. Mm-hmm. Um, we did it with the SB Awards a week and a half ago. So we're the official charity poker tournament, I think three of the last six years. Oh, wow. So we try to, I, I try to plug in the charity wherever I can whatever company I'm working on or whatever project or whatever client, I try to always plug in the charity. Um, so yeah, the, we do the back to school, we do the Thanksgiving food drive, we do the, the Christmas toy drive. And whenever I do the post, I tell people they can replicate the same thing in their city. Yeah. It doesn't take money to have people meet up and drop stuff off. It really doesn't. It just doesn't. Yeah. You take it in your friend's office parking lot or your backyard and tell everybody to come by and bring unwrapped toys or bring Thanksgiving food or bring school supplies like it's just not that hard and it inspires people to do things and it creates a true impact for the people that can't afford the basic necessities yeah and it's got to give off some good karma doing something nice for someone else has got to be paid back in some way and just to even give you one last compliment you even for your birthdays you you ask people to donate to your charity so you make your birthdays um your charity driven kind of event yes and everyone in hollywood comes so we're actually we're always there like everyone posts there yeah Yeah, i know it's coming up soon at the palladium it's really crazy yeah so for my listeners, I really think it's like, this is the guy. This is the guy that you probably don't even know about. The guy that has given us jobs. The guy that is determining what you have for Christmas. The guy that pretty much made for loco, but, you know, he doesn't want to be tied in that one. But really, you really do a lot, and you give back so much. So thank you for everyone who doesn't really say thank you. I really feel like I'm excited to see what you do in your life, and I'm thankful to be a friend of yours because I, I feel like, you're going to do some cool shit. And I really hope I do some cool shit. You are. And I hope that we collaborate, <laughs> you know? I want to be one of those old friends when we're 15. We're like, oh, my God, remember when we did that podcast? And then you you were international affairs Wait, with I mean, Dubai six days later. I mean, you're just one of the – you're one of the rare few that are actually putting in the effort to take a lot of the – again, I don't want to sound rude saying the Instagram models. Right. But it's not rude. I yeah. think they've built a career, and it's magical, and it's amazing, and it's it's insane not to do it. Yeah. If you can, if you can get up 600,000 followers or 2 million followers or 6 million followers or 7, whatever you're at now, 7 right. million. Uh, it's insane not to do it. But most of the time, the girls get capped. Mm-hmm. They get to that 200,000 and they kind of stop. Or they get to a million and they kind of stop. They get capped because they don't do anything different. Yeah. You've 
always innovated and created and done these unique calendars, unique photo shoots, merchandise, podcasts. Like you're taking what it's supposed to be for and very few girls are doing it. And not, and the boys too. There's very few boys that are doing it too. Yeah. And it's, I get excited to watch it because you're actually making a, a career out of it and doing things like this is like, there's not, these other girls have lots of followers too and they're just not doing it. I like to think so too. Yeah. I hope that's a good sign. I hope that I'm in the end of this pool some way doing something really good. Yeah. But oh my God, Dan, I really had a lot of fun. Like I really have had a ton of fun learning about your life. And I feel like I've learned so much. <laughs> I can't believe you. And there were so much other interviews I watched. If you guys are bored, YouTube Dan Fleischman. He's got some other interviews. A very stuffy host. But yeah. you learn a lot about him. I still got to do it. <laughs> yeah. And he's an incredible business mind. He can educate you on cryptocurrency and charity and business and success and all of that stuff. Where can um, everyone follow you? At Dan Fleischman. At Dan Fleischman. Yeah. On Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, whatever. Yes, LinkedIn. and um, is your charity is modelcitizenfund.org? Yes. Yes, yeah. I knew that yeah. too. Yeah. So you can make a donation or um, just stay involved and up to date. He's always giving back. So he could for sure use your help. And if you guys want my book for free, go to buythisbook.com. Yeah. And put in the code elevator. And that's a book about your tips for success. And, yeah, it's and called, uh, the book's called How to Set Up Your Business for Under $1,000. It's just a really easy, it's like 100 pages. It's very straightforward, kind of like a checklist of everything you need to do to start a company. Mm -hmm. And my main thing I tell people is just get started. Yeah. It just... Just do it. Just do it. And it's free advice. He yeah. made a free book for you. Yeah. You're really such a giver. It's just, it's really refreshing. I'm so happy I had you on. It's a pleasure. Yeah, you're going to come back. We're going to talk about Whatever something else next time. Yeah. It was so good to have you. Thank you so Absolutely. much. And thank you guys so much for listening. It's been one of my favorite episodes yet. I'll see you next time on Eyes Up Here.